You're listening to episode 103 of the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden. And today, um, I'm kind of nervous because I'm going to be in the hot seat. And I just really think a lot of you and so thankful that you listen. So I thought it would be only fair if you got to know me a little bit better. Each week, you trust me to bring on a new guest. You have faith that I'm going to help guide you in a new place. And I wanted to come on today just to kind of open your eyes. My goal is for all of us to see the unseen, to let you know where I've been and what God's taught me. And the heart of that is that he has to be the center. Does that fit with what this podcast is called or what? But I think that really... I want us all to see the unseen, which means there is more going on than the circumstances of our children, than the challenges in our marriages, than the financial struggles, than the heartaches. There's more at work here. And what I've learned is when I look past the circumstances and try to see God's heart in it, I usually find more peace in my soul and more patience to walk through those circumstances. So I wanted to give you a verse to start off. It comes from a psalm, and this particular one was written by David. And David, you know, was being sought. His circumstances were rough. The king at the time didn't like him. His best friend was the king's son. He was fleeing for his life. Everyone seemed to be against him. He was hiding out. And so there were all these prayers to God for justice, um, recognizing that David had done nothing wrong. There's nothing he had done to deserve the circumstances he's in. There is nothing I have done as a mom to deserve some wild and crazy boys. There is nothing I have done to have hard things like cancer happen in our family. But then he cries out. He says, God, I need your justice. And this last verse of Psalm 17 really struck me today. And I want to kind of break it down a little bit. It says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake... I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Okay, let's talk for that. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. And when I looked up the word behold in this circumstance, it's the Hebrew kaza, which means to gaze at, to perceive, to contemplate with pleasure, to have a vision of, to look, to see, behold, I will see your face, God. In righteousness, but when I looked up this righteousness, that doesn't mean like to do everything right and be perfect. It's more calling to God's justice. So for me, when I contemplate with pleasure your face of justice, when I contemplate and think and focus not on my circumstances, not on all the injustice around me, not on all the things that aren't fair, but when I focus in and behold and gaze with pleasure and look at your face of justice, then I awake. I love this, awake. It's actually a Hebrew word with no vowels, Q-U-W-T-S, which is like an abruptness, like a a shaken, like a wake up, kids, it's time to go to school. Arise, it says, I'm gonna awake and I will be satisfied. And that whole phrase, I shall be satisfied, is one word, sabah. I will sabah, I will be satiated. I I will awake satiated 
filled enough. It says weary of, not weary of my circumstances, weary of your likeness. I will be weary of, and I will arise in your image, in your likeness. When, when I focus in on your face, your face of justice, when I gaze and look at your face of justice, I'm going to be sabah, filled, filled when I arise with your likeness, which means your embodiment of him, which means similitude, phantom shape. You're going to take on the likeness of God when you fa- when you gaze and behold and stare at the face of God, when you focus in on his justice and how he's in control and how he's going to handle the circumstances, then you'll wake up in his likeness. And I just like that struck me like that to me is what I would, I want. I want to be able to see what God is doing behind the scenes. There's another verse in Psalm 66, five. So that was 17. I told you that 17, 15. This is Psalm 66, five. It says, come and see. Come and see, that whole phrase is one word in Hebrew, which means behold. It means gaze, take heed, mark, come see, focus in on what God has done. He's awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He is great. Therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. 1 Samuel 12, 16. I was going to speak at an event and it didn't, you know, just didn't happen, which is totally fine with me. But the event was going to be called Be the Light. And when I found this verse God brought to me. It was Matthew 6, 22. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. So basically, your eye is the illuminator. That's the word for that. Illuminator of the body. So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be illuminated, will be full of light. So if you see clearly, if you see what God is doing, then you will be a light. If your vision is cloudy, if you aren't even seeing what God's doing, then you can't be that light to others. You cannot shine in the likeness of others. It's when we behold and we take in and we see behind the scenes. We see the unseen. We look past the circumstances to the unbelievable things that are at work around us that we get to see the light and then we get to be the light in Matthew 13 it says for the people's hearts had grown dull with their ears they could barely hear their eyes have been closed lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn I would heal them I would open their eyes I would let them see it says in Psalm 19 7 and 8 the law of the Lord is perfect, and it revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So we've got our soul and our mind are all made right with God's word. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So our heart's engaged. So we've got our soul and our mind and our heart are all engaged when we look at his word. And lastly, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. There it is. So the eye of the is the lamp of the body. The eye is the illuminator of the body. And the word of the Lord enlightens our eyes. Are y'all following me? Is anybody out there following me? Are you following what I'm saying? It, it, the word is our lamp. The word is our illuminator. And how you see those circumstances matter. If your eyes are closed and you're blind to the eternal, then you can't even have the light in you. And right after that verse about, you know, your eye being the lamp, 
and your eye being clear, right after that is the verse in Matthew about not serving two masters. And how can you serve God and man? And how can you be stuck in this world, the temporal and the eternal? Because the, etem- the eternal lasts, but the physical fades. Don't store your treasures here, but in heaven where your heart is, so your treasure is. Those are all the verses that follow. Jesus was trying to say, there's so much more going on here. Do you see it? Start with your eye being illuminated and your whole body will light up. Choose God. You know, we have to be in this world. But but maybe, maybe we can turn to him and say, God, open my eyes so I can see the unseen, see what you're doing behind the scenes. I'm going to give you a practical example. So, you know, the other, the other week, the other month, a while, a little bit ago, I was having this like time down in my chair. Some of you asked on Instagram what my day looks like. And I really am addicted to waking up before everyone else does and, um, going down to this chair I have with a lamp and just turning on worship music. I'm a big fan of Pandora's Bethel music station and just, you know, talking with God, just hands extended, listening to him, reading his word and having time with him. And, you know, that had happened and the older kids had gotten up and my husband had made them breakfast and, you know, he'd taken them off to school. And then, you know, the younger ones like my six-year-old was up and he was hanging out and I'm still in this chair like reading the Bible I'm like this has never ever happened I'm having all this time because my three-year-old is not up yet what is going on this is amazing and so then I like hear him coming down the stairs and I'm like oh there he is and I hear these words mom poop mess cleaned up and I'm thinking oh no oh no what happened and I get up there and y'all like poop is everywhere in his bathroom like he sweet guy potty trained but like must have had a stomach bug can you can you can you picture it (laughs) must have had a stomach bug piles piles and like mixed with his clothes and little footprints of poop and toilet paper piles and the toilet is clogged with toilet paper coming out of it the bath mat's covered and in my flesh seeing those circumstances wanted to scream out this is terrible. What are you doing? But something in me, maybe it was the fact that I'd been in God's word. This is not my normal reaction. I was like thinking this matters. And his story, this matters how you react. And he needs you to reassure him. Because I tell you, I wanted to like give him a bath and he would barely go back in the room. He was so ashamed of what had happened. And he was trying to cover up. You could see the piles of toilet paper. He was trying to cover up his mistake. And he didn't want to go back and re-see it. And I was like, come on, God. And he was throwing a tantrum. He didn't want to go in there. He didn't want to go bath. I finally convinced him to take a bath. I grab a plastic bag and I start like, you know, getting to, uh, paper towels and trying to clean up. And I'm like, it's okay. This is totally, we can totally clean up this mess. It's not a big deal. I unclog the toilet. I'm like cleaning off the floor. And this sweet boy from the bathtub reaches out his hands and starts patting my back and, and just rubbing his hand on my back. And I thought, this is it. This is it. I needed to see his soul and not the circumstances? And how often am I rushing to the next thing, to the next thing, and not recognizing that this motherhood journey, I know it feels intense. It brings us to our rawest place. You guys asked why I started God's and Mom. That was it. Having, you know, one child made me super crazy. Sign him up for everything. 
um, go, 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 do, 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 do more to make him the best. And it was all about making this child who made me look good. And then having two, I just felt like I couldn't meet all their needs. And three, it just brought me to my knees. We all meet our breaking point at some point in this motherhood journey. And mine came with three kids and four totally pushed me over the edge where I was seeing a counselor. I just, I just could not do it. I was so anxious all the time. There were so many of them. I couldn't do it exactly how I thought I should do it in my own strength and recognizing that this motherhood journey is a part of my life. And it's a huge privilege to get to steward souls, to get to walk this walk with them, to get to um, show them Christ. Like to be near me is to be near Christ in their mind. The only way they know love is how we love them. And and my uh, grace that I extended and how I responded to his error spoke more love than if I'd sat down and done a family devotional where we went through um, one of the parables. See what I'm saying? He needed me to respond with Christ's love in a different way. And that's my goal for you. Like, as I'm getting on here today, it's just that you would see, like, that our eyes would be open, that we would say, Lord, help me see. Just like it said in Matthew um, 13, 15, that if we turn to God, if we turn to Jesus, he would heal our eyes and let us see and fill us with the light so that we could take in all he is doing and behold and be like him. And our kids would see Christ when they see us. Now, y'all know I make a lot of mistakes. I mean, y'all know you've heard me in every episode, especially with Kirk, how I have issues with anger. I really do. And I'm not perfect. And when I told my husband I was going to do this episode where I was going to come on here and talk, he was like, they don't think we're the experts, do they? And I was like, oh, I hope not, honey. I hope not. Because um, the goal here is to show you uh, there are things that we have learned along the way. And uh, we love this quote, he and I. It says, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And so we we have our priorities for our family that we felt God's led us to do and ways we do things that we thought he, that we need to do for our family, our family that we want to instill in our boys. But we mess up. Oh, do we mess up? But that doesn't mean we don't try. And that doesn't mean we don't put the effort in. And so I just want to encourage you with that as I go and answer some of y'all's questions that I don't come here as an expert, but just as a fellow traveler to help you and guide you and give you eyes to see maybe a new way to see um, how you're approaching your parenting. So let me get to some of these questions. I thought, just like I asked my guests to introduce their family, I would introduce my family. So Chris Lynn on Instagram asked the story of my son's name. My oldest son is Quaid, and that's just a nickname. He's really Bruce the fourth. My husband's had three sisters, and my husband's dad had four sisters, and my husband's grandfather had no siblings. So our McFadden line is like straight and then my husband Bruce calls me the matriarch because we have all these boys and we were so thrilled to first have a boy and to get to call him Bruce. Um, but my husband was like, I don't want to call him Bruce. Cause I, you know, that was confusing to have two Bruce's in the house. So we call him Quaid, which is a nickname for four. Uh, and then we have price, which is my maiden name. And we were so excited to, you know, have a brother. It was kind of fun to have two boys and they could be brothers. And, uh, and then the third pregnancy, I was like, Whoa, we're pregnant again. What? And my oldest wasn't even four. And um, before we found out if it was a boy, I was like, okay, God, I, in order to be excited, if this is another boy, I'm going to need a cool name. I really need a cool name. And so 
Um, I was in church and I was flipping through the hymnal and I was looking at hymn writers' names and I saw Isaac Watts had written like so many of the hymns that we love uh, when I survey the wondrous cross um, and joy to the world. And so I was like, Watts, that kind of fits with Quaid and Price. It's like another one syllable name with our super long last name. So we named him that. And then um, Knox, okay, he doesn't have such a great story, but um, his name came because we live, you know, there's there's just a lot of Knoxes around where we live, and and we just like it was a short, cute, hip name, but it's kind of becoming trendy. So who knows? But I loved his middle name story. His middle name story is David, because I really did struggle with having a fourth boy. I've written about it online. If you have lots of boys and you were having a hard time, I can relate. Um, when I found out, I was really you know surprised by how upset I was. I think that I knew that was our last child, and I uh, knew that we weren't. <laughs> That was, that was our last chance to have a girl. And so all those dreams, I call it Neverland. I, I had to stop going to Neverland. The I'm never going to get to put a daughter in ballet class. Why am I crying? Good grief. I've, I promise. I am love Knox. He is my, he is just a joy to me right now. God's gift. But you just can't go to Neverland. You have to kind of let those things go. The nevers get to do this, never get to do that. And I know that God has good things for me in my future, and I trust him, but there was some grieving. And so the name David came to, he brought that name to mind because David was the seventh um, of his brothers in line, but God chose him. He said, um, no, not him, not him, not him. Man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart and David will be my king who will replace Saul. And so I just really felt strongly about David being his middle name. And uh, Julia Brown asked, if I had a girl, what would I name her? Well, Lucy was top of the list. Definitely wanted Lucy. And then, you know, if we had more, Audrey was another name I liked because I'm a big Audrey Hepburn fan. So I love Lucy and Audrey Hepburn. So deep. Those were so deep. Um, Our decision to have four boys. Okay, Cynthia Thomas, you're going to laugh at this. Um, It's because we saw this really dumb movie called Idiocracy. And in the movie, it's a long story, but basically... Uh, the people that are really educated and take a long time, like getting their degrees and they're really smart, wait to have kids, and then they struggle to have kids. And the people that have not been educated or have, you know, just not making wise life decisions are having tons of children. And Bruce is like, you know what? I don't want to just replace ourselves. Like I, and because people that were, were smarter were not replenishing, the world was getting dumber and dumber. And so he said, I don't want to just replace us. Like I want to leave more of a legacy than just you and I. And so... He was like, we're going to have four kids. And he comes from four kids and I come from four kids. So it worked. We, were, we agreed on that. Uh, what I love most about having four kids is just like it's what he, my husband and I know, just a lot of um, energy, a lot of fun. Right now, there are times when it just feels like too much. Um, and we've kind of had to recognize that it means a lot more family time and less um, with other family time for this tiny season just because it's just so chaotic and it's hard for other families to want to invite us over. So we have to invite other families over, which we're going to start doing. So, um, but I do love all their relationships with each other. They're really tight and I enjoy watching that. And for boys, I just think it's great to have one gender. I also love people that have multiple genders, but for us, it works that we're just Legos and sports and um, baseball cards and they just all really love being together. So Julia, that's what I like about having four kids and four boys. Okay, so Shonda Knowlton wants to know, how do I calm down wild boys? Okay, as I'm recording this, my husband has taken our boys to the park. 
because it's cold outside. And we know if there's not some time in our day that our boys get physical energy out, it makes everything harder. So recognizing the need for boys to get physical energy out is a huge deal, moms. I don't think that we really, as women, understand what that is for boys. And I think living, especially for us living in an urban environment, there's just not the opportunities to get out that energy, especially if they're at school all day. So I just make sure that at some point of the day, they're being active. We have lots of, you know, we used to have a trampoline with a handle in the living room. I've blown up a bounce house inside our house sometimes to get energy out. I've let, like, we had a couch from when we first got married that was around, and they would just totally destroy that couch and jump on the cushions and flip it over and we play King of the Hill. Friends of ours, the cruises taught us this game where you, like, take all the cushions and pile them like a mountain and have one boy stand at the top and then all the other boys try to climb up and knock each other over. It's very physical. Um, But that, you know, is I think to calm down wild boys, you have to get their energy out. And then I think that they have the ability to be calm. If they cannot calm themselves, you know, sometimes I'll do more physical activity to calm them down or we have to say, you know, you need to go be by yourself. And that will sometimes calm them down, just like being alone in their room. Uh, because there is an exponential aspect of boyness. Uh, the more they are together, the more crazy it becomes. Um, I told you a little bit about my mom's story. Elizabeth Elizabeth Cravleon asked about my mom's story. Um, you could also listen to more over at Catley Inspired to Action. I was on her podcast, and I shared more. And on the Influence Network podcast, I shared more over there. Um, and then a typical day Shonda wanted to know about. So a typical day, I told you, always starts with my own little quiet time. Um, we have a really weird school schedule. So some of my boys get out at noon and some get out at 2, and one gets out at 2.45. And so, you know, every day is kind of a different story. And um, I, I don't homeschool, but they're home a lot. Um, and when they're home, we might be doing homework or playing. They do a lot of playing, just free playing. Uh, we do some video games. I do have let them do like a little bit of video game time on the weekends. And uh, we are big movie night people. So I'm, I'm cool with movie nights. And um, let's see. Like they, I just, I start making dinner. <laughs> like it's really boring. Typical day, super boring. I don't do a lot of online computer stuff. Um, actually, I do none really uh, during the day. I might put an Instagram post, but honestly, I'm just like, once they're home, I'm just not really on because it's too hard for me to do both parent and do online stuff. Um, the podcast, I try to record on like the days when everybody's at school, Tuesday, Thursdays, and, uh, sometimes in the evenings I'll record an episode and then I'll edit it on those Tuesday, Thursdays or on the weekend and work on the post. Um, and then we do dinner together at home as much as possible. It was really important to my family. It was really important to my husband's family. So on Sundays, I go to the grocery store. I've got my meal planned for the week, and I just make dinner every night, except for, like, Fridays we might order pizza. Okay, is that super boring? That's super boring. Um, and then after the kids go to – my husband will put two of the kids to bed, and I'll put two of the kids to bed because they sleep separately, and then um, – then he and I will hang out some nights. Some nights we'll just watch a show. Like one of our goals for 2015 was to watch more TV. I think we did that better. My husband's been trying to read more books and he's doing that really well. So sometimes we'll just have a book in bed and fall asleep. It's especially with me getting up early. Like, I don't know, I can't do too late at night. Um, 
So on Wednesday nights, we we do a small group in uh, Wednesday night church. Sports, I'm like super, I don't know. You, you I could do a whole show on my theory on sports, but I, I'm not a, we don't sign up for a lot of sports and we don't do a lot of activities. So that's about it. And Julia Brown asked, how do I reset a bad day? Oh goodness, do we have bad days? Okay, so if I'm sensing like I'm grumpy, they're grumpy, everyone's grumpy, here's a couple things we'll do. One, I say, all right, we need to just like, start being thankful because I'm seeing like, we're just not being thankful. I'm, I'm nitpicking. I have a critical spirit. You have a critical spirit. It's just contagious. So what are some things we can be thankful for? Thank you for this. Thank you for that. And we just start doing gratitude, like lists because, oh my goodness, can we get in a grumpy place? And then I found music like that five o'clock hour. I'll turn on like seeds. Family worship was really good. I'll turn on, um, my all sons and daughters. I'll turn on, uh, eighties music. We're big into eighties music. So, Anything that'll like, sometimes music will just really help settle the boys too. I don't know what it is. Like that energy helps them settle. It doesn't make sense. You would think it would rev them up, but it doesn't. Uh, Going outside always helps reset a bad day. Some kind of adventure. Like I'm like, we're going to try something new. We're going to try a new place. Um, It's just something I can think of that's different. My boys really like to go places, all of them but one. Uh, If we can connect with other people, my boys do well, like, that helps them stop fighting with each other if they can interact with friends at a park um, or meet them at, like, there's a church near us that has an indoor play area. If we can do that, that really helps them. Um, mommy to CRB asked if we have a family devotional time. Okay. I thought this was a really good question. So I have lots of theories about this. Um, I would love it. It sounds really great. And we all, I think, have in our head this beautiful time. I'm sure – and you're probably – this is what I wanted to get rid of, too, this idea that Heather – has and I really don't like to be called God Center Mom because that's not the point. The point was that that was a goal, like an idea, not that I am that. So that that I want you to realize. I'm not sitting at home with all my kids and my husband's like leading this amazing devotional. That's not who we are. Um we go to this camp every summer and they have as part of their curriculum where you go through a family devotional and it is a disaster. Like <laughs> it is so not great um we try we, we try to go through it but it is hard uh what works for us and where my husband and I each thrive is he's really good at bedtime with the older boys they have a bible reading uh program with their school he'll read through that bible reading and that works for him he can you know he's better with older kids talking through scripture and then um I can do younger kids I do tea time with little kids like when they're home and the bigger brothers are at school where I'll like make tea or hot chocolate and I'll cut up like bananas and get little crackers or cookies and put them on a plate and we'll sit at the table and I'll let them pick a Bible story and um, we'll just read the Bible story like simple. But I honestly think um, if you've ever read the book Revolutionary Parenting by George Barna, it is great. So they basically look at children who are now adults following Jesus like they have adopted this faith as their own. They're spiritual champions is what Barna defines them as. They're they're not just like quote unquote Christians. They are taking this faith. It is their own. They're choosing to walk with the Lord in their day in day out. And they go back and say, okay, those kids that are now adults, what did their parents do when they were kids? Genius, right? So they have found that it really was less to do with these organized family devotional times. And it more had to do with one, how the parents lived out their faith. Did the parents seek God? Did the kids see their parents reading the Bible? Did the kids see their parents praying? 
did they as a family when an issue came up pray together? And so we took that information from that book and we kind of applied it. So every morning before Bruce goes off to work, he and I stop and pray for each other. And the boys take notice. Even the three-year-old, he started to kind of join in and I want to pray too. When something comes up, we'll just pray. Like, you know, throw out a prayer. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be like, you know, your eyes are closed when I'm driving. We see an ambulance. You just pray. And so that they know that when something happens and something's hard, we call out to God. And that's faith. That's what faith is. Faith isn't religion. Faith is a belief that God is for you and he is um, with you and he has a bigger, he's, he's at work around us. And so um, that is important to us. Um, let's see. And just how we respond to them with love. Like the gospel, uh, you'll see I, I've got a lot of great interviews coming up that are already recorded. We have like four or five already done. Um, and I was talking to Sally Clarkson. And the gospel is like French toast with maple syrup. Like that's like love. So, you know, just kind of branching out from what our traditional beliefs are. Not that I don't think time as a family around God's word is important. But I think that that can't just be your only time. And, and I think that if that time is where they're getting in trouble and your kids can't sit still and they're getting yelled at and they have this negative view of studying the Bible, that to me is like, stop doing that. That is that is probably hurting their faith more than it's helping their faith. Um, okay. And Stephanie Warner asked how we serve together. Um, we're big fans of you discovering your gifts and how God's wired you and then finding a place to serve within those gifts. And so I love to teach. And so I teach preschoolers on Sunday mornings and my boys have helped me do that before. Um, my husband, he's just really great at just serving like on the go out and about when we're out just like when we see a need and we meet it. And I think the boys have caught on to that, um, you know, and see him help out with Sunday school too. And just, you know, different things that come up. If we see something, um, I know my husband grew up going on mission trips with his family and that was great. And that gave them just um, a wider worldview and it bonded their family together to be in different environments where they, um, there wasn't comfort or convenience or control. So, I think I've, I interviewed Bruce about that, uh, one of the early episodes. But those are our thoughts on serving together. As far as um, Cynthia Thomas had a question relating to marriage, how do you settle parenting decisions? Okay, and this kind of goes with the next question from Stephanie Warner about advice to moms of littles. So when we had our first baby, um, Quaid, he cried a lot. <laughs> he had really bad reflux really bad and like I don't think it was colic it was more like he's super sensitive he cried a ton he wouldn't sleep um if we ever tried like we tried all the parenting books I was looking for help from too many resources my number one strength on strength finder is input to a fault like I was trying baby wise and the whole sleep with the baby and the whole baby routine all at the same time instead of just picking one and having confidence and doing what I thought was right and so when my husband would come home from work he would want to help out, like naturally, which is great. He'd want to help out. But I like had finally figured out this one way to hold the Quaid so he wouldn't cry or this one thing to do so he wouldn't cry or to get him to go to sleep. And I would micromanage my husband like the whole time because I just <laughs> I was just really wanted him to sleep. And so um, it became a, a challenge between the two of us because it was my way or his way. And, and I tried to explain to him, it's not that I think you're doing it wrong. It's just... 
as this is my job now and I'm trying to find identity in this job. And it would be like if I went into your job and just went on your computer and started messing with your spreadsheets and you couldn't say anything. You couldn't give me any tips. I just got to go in and mess with your spreadsheets. And I need you to recognize that this taking care of this baby is my job and I'm reading about it and I'm learning about it. And and I, I'm really focusing and I view this as a high like a high calling for me. And so you can't view my um, tips or ideas as criticism of you, but more just guidelines and doing the job that I do all day. And so that was helpful to talk that through and give him that perspective. We also decided to divide up responsibilities. And that's when he started helping out with bedtime because he really loved being in charge of the bath time and the reading the book and the bedtime because then he could own it and he could do it his way. And he felt like, I wasn't micromanaging and I felt freedom. I could go like just hang out and chill out so that then when he was done, we could be together and I wasn't stressed. Um, So, you know, I think talk through that with your husband if you have littles. Um, Now parenting decisions, I think, you know, Bruce comes from, even though we have very similar parenting backgrounds on paper, like two, his dad was a doctor, my dad was a lawyer. Our parents are both still married, 50 years of marriage each, Um, Christian homes, I mean, just saying it, we're super blessed, but did things very differently. His parents were more child-directed. My parents were more adult-directed. And so um, there are some things that I really love how Bruce does, and there's some things that I love how my parents did it. And so um, we kind of have to talk through a lot. And I have to learn not to correct him in the moment, like to say, no, I don't like, oh, I don't think you should do that, but to like have the conversation outside of the situation. I do not do that well all the time, I will admit. Um, okay, more advice to moms of littles. Uh, okay, I would say to really talk to God about how you view that child in relation to your identity. How connected are you to their behavior to where if they misbehave, does it negatively impact your image? Because I think that that was something that if I thought through earlier on, I would have maybe treated my children differently. If I wouldn't have like so closely identified my worth with their behavior, I wouldn't have gotten so emotionally worked up when they misbehaved. It was personal to me. And it was embarrassing if it was public because I was so tied. I was so child-centered and I didn't see myself, my identity in Christ. I saw my identity in how other people thought of me and how other people thought of me as a mom based on how my kids behaved. And I, and I hope that resonates with y'all if you understand what I'm saying. I would also say, and I'm learning this now, I just uh, hung out with Leslie from the last episode. She had me over for dinner last night, she and my husband, and we were talking through and some struggles we're having with some of our kids now. And, you know, she said, you know, gal, you know, Leslie, how she says, gal, she says, I think they're going to turn out great. She said, it's, you know, there's so much more. They're going to grow up so much more. It's going to be awesome. I don't, I'm not worried a bit about them. And, um, and I was thinking back to emails I get about moms who are so worried about, um, 17 month olds and how they're behaving. And if they're going to turn out like a brat, if they don't decide, discipline them in a certain way. And I'm thinking they're 17 months old. It's, you know, they're going to, they're going to learn, they're going to grow. It's, it's no big deal. And I think we all need to just take a chill pill and accept for who they are right now and recognize that they're in process and to cast a vision of who they can become. Because things I'm seeing, like even in my eight-year-old that used to totally frustrate me when he was a three-year-old, I'm seeing now is super positive. 
His persistence and his ability to get work done is incredible. And when he was three, that used to drive me bonkers, his persistence and his, like, he was really a challenging child. So I would say, you know, maybe see the challenges you see in that child. Ask God, open my eyes. Remember, see the unseen. What are you doing in this child and where? what do you have for them? And speak that vision over your children. Cast that vision over them and saying, you are really good at this particular thing. I think God could make you a blah, 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 blah. Um, and I would also say for moms to littles, less is more. You don't have to do every activity unless that's something you want to do to be with your friends. If you're doing it because your friend says that you should, that's a big like red flag. Uh, Leslie and I were talking about this last night, like T-ball. She, they were like, oh, we didn't do T-ball, Cal. She said, yeah, everyone's like, if you don't do T-ball, then you're not going to get on baseball team. You're not going to get on the select team and da 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 Wow. Okay. What is our ultimate goal? And if, you're, if your child is truly talented, that will show up in first grade, second grade. If they're truly talented, they will catch up. There is no need to do all these things so young. Even birthday parties. I mean, simple, y'all, simple. I, I have a whole whole theory I could talk on about birthday parties because I just think that we're stressing each other out. One, with the level, if, if you enjoy throwing birthday parties and that is how God wired you and you love the like details, that is awesome. And I think you should do that. But if you're doing it because you think you should to keep up, then that is not what God's called you to. And I think, um, one, when it's so many kids that you're inviting, I think that's overwhelming for children. I think that's overwhelming for all the people that you've invited. They have to address their whole schedule to come to your party. It's it's overwhelming to their budget to have to go to all these parties and bring presents to all these kids. Um, but if our kids just invited a couple friends that are their friends, there'd be our weekends would be freer. We wouldn't spend all weekend going to birthday parties. Our, our budgets would be freer because we wouldn't be spending all this money. Um, your child would enjoy their birthday and remember it more because they would remember who was there instead of it being this blur of people. I don't know. I think uh, less is more and everything is kind of when they're young. Even like uh, I had a friend who's so smart, like just less uh, little toys. Like they don't need it. Just less, like less toys, less stuff. Um, As far as discipline, everyone wants to know, how do you discipline? I'd say there's no formula. There is no formula, but there is a mindset. And the mindset needs to be when something happens, when a behavior happens, and I am feeling like that is wrong. Is it wrong because it annoys me? Is it wrong because um, uh, it is bothersome to someone else? Is it wrong because it, it was a direct disobedience to what you've asked? Or is it um, an actual thing they need to be trained in? Is it something that, that you're seeing consistently, a behavior you're seeing that you want to train differently so that as they grow, they can hear from God and they can go where God wants them. And it's something that could inhibit them from the good things of life. I love uh, Clay Clarkson's book, The Heartfelt Heartfelt Discipline. I feel like that is right on biblically and just keeping your kids on the path of life. And grace is not lack of boundaries. I was emailing with a mom about that. Uh with a 17-month-old. How do I show a 17-month-old grace? Well, that's not, okay, so if they keep going towards the street, it isn't grace to be like, well, I'll let them go in the street. No, they'll get hit. That's not grace. That's not loving. Um, grace is in your response that is measured and not overreacting and like um, hitting and angry. It's saying, you know what? We do not go in the street. If you continue to go towards the street, we're going to go inside. I'm going to have to hold you and setting a firm boundary with love. Um, and you can hear more about 
grace-based parenting from Jenny Cunyon. She has a book, uh, Parenting the Wholehearted Child, which is great, great, great. Um, okay. Some of you asked about the podcast. So since we're getting to the end of the show, let me answer those questions. How did I get started? So I don't know how many of you have been even following this God-centered mom journey, but um, I used to just write on the blog for a couple years. And I actually, um, a, a year into it, had an agent contact me about doing a book. And it was right when Knox was born. And I worked really hard on a book proposal. And I had no, it wasn't something that God had ever put in my heart that I have to write a book. I just thought like, God, if you brought me this agent, then I'm supposed to write a book to be obedient to what you called me to. But it was not going well. And I, it was just, I just not, not meant to be. And uh, so then I put it to the side and then I picked it back up again. And then I put it to the side and then I picked it up again. And like one last time I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I worked on a new book proposal and sent it to my agent. I thought I was going to meet with publishers. I get to this conference and there were no meetings scheduled. He hadn't read the book proposal. It was like dry bones. If you, you know, that story of the dry bones looking around, I'm like, okay, God, you have to breathe life into this. All of this is, is nothing. There is no life here. And I just, um, I'd, I'd been listening to my friend Kat's podcast. I'm in this little mastermind group and, um, I was thinking, well, maybe I just need to do a podcast. Like I really like talking. I think I could do that. That seems more enjoyable to me than writing. And so I just kind of worked with Kat and with a friend, Katie Orr, that I had on the show a few weeks ago, and they helped me set it all up like the technology side. And I just started and, I just kept going. And a year ago, we had um, a house guest. We had a friend who's a missionary in Asia, and he was telling me about Kirk Martin. And so I contacted Kirk and had Kirk on the show, and that's when the show kind of um, got a little bit more of an audience. Y'all really liked what Kirk had to say, and so more people started coming. So that's my little journey. Naomi Wilcox asked about that. Uh, and Carol Stoll asked who inspired me, and I would say Kat, inspired to action. She did it. She inspired me to action. Um Carla asked about my spiritual gifts and my personality and how that all relates to podcasting. And I really do, um, I'm big on y'all figuring out what your spiritual gifts are. Find a, find a uh, test online or something and your personality and how God's wired you because that's what he wants you to do. Don't try to fit in a different box. He has made you for a purpose, for his plan. He wants you to see that and to, to be acting in that. And so, uh, yeah, it does really fit into the gifts that God has given me. Um, so, uh, Stephanie has asked what my fave guest is. That is so hard. My favorite guest, so hard. Y'all, what a gift that every week I get to get wisdom from all these women. I I could not pick a f- favorite. I love having mentors on and sharing them with you, even like my, my good friends from church. I love having brilliant authors on. I love the great inspirational stories. Um, I will tell you that it was holy ground to interview Vicki Craft. That felt like, I mean, I weeped after I left that interview, it was, it was very, very, very special to be talking with a woman who had one foot towards heaven and just the holiness of that moment. I cannot, I cannot describe. Um, I would say episode that's most influential Jillian asked about, I think a lot of you really, really loved the interview with Jen Klaus. And I would agree. I think her eternal perspective struck me. Again, it's the seeing the unseen. It's the having the perspective that there's more to this and that our hope is real and that this motherhood thing is a piece. It is not our whole being. It is, I mean, talking to Leslie last night, y'all, her kids are all grown. They're all out of the house. And she's, you know, 
going to have, you know, hopefully 20, 30, 40 more years on this earth. I mean, it is a part of our story. It is not our whole story. And so uh, having that eternal perspective is huge. I had one mom ask me on an email, like, how does that eternal perspective affect parenting toddlers? Well, I think it goes back to that whole discipline thing. Why are you frustrated? Why are you annoyed? What is it because you're they're wasting your time? Is it is, is their misbehavior making you have more work to do? Because if we have this eternal perspective, if we see these things differently, this isn't our own life. We're here to serve. We're playing a role in the big plan. And and as a mom, that soul of your child is the eternal thing. And whatever you can do to help direct that soul to Christ is what we need to do. That's the the perspective we need to have. I know I need that reminder as I go into this week with my husband out of town. Um, y'all can pray for me. Uh and how can you model that Holy Spirit dependence? I had that conversation with my six-year-old. You know, it's easy for us to do our way. That flesh, that that kingdom of the flesh that we come from, that's the easy option. It takes work to choose God's way and to recognize we are no longer slaves to the kingdom of sin. We are free to choose God's way, but we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to direct us to do God's way. And so... Um, I know I need that reminder and just to have those conversations with your kids uh, is really big. So Susan C. asked me, she was on episode 52, if you want to check her out. Um, She asked me, what is God telling me for 2016? And y'all, I really just think it's um, for me to look to him and his spirit and be led by his spirit. To really consider every interaction I have with each woman and to see and stop and ask God, what does your spirit have for this conversation? What would you want me to do? Who do you want me to invite over? Um, how do you want me to interact with my kids? I mean, really leaning into what does it mean to be spirit-led in that, in that moment-to-moment decision-making? Every moment we have the choice, my way or God's way, and and to see the unseen. And, and to go back to that verse... Um, to gaze, to behold his face, his just face, and to be filled when I rise in your image, in your likeness. That if I just hold fast to looking at God, to come and see, to behold him and to see that unseen and then let all this fade away. Um, to turn my eyes to Jesus and everything else becomes dim. That's always been my favorite verse. Um, to really just wake up to just wake up to what God's doing. So I hope this was helpful to you. I know uh, I thank you all for asking questions. It feels a little silly but for me to just talk about me. But I hope that you were encouraged that this will really help you have that eternal God-centered perspective. Thanks, y'all, for listening. May God lead you today and let you see the unseen. Blessings. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 317, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love 
and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.